Good morning and welcome to your Tuesday. This is Sportsnet Today. My name is Matt Rose in for Ryan Pinder this week. And this program is brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery. Proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the tap room and restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. we got a jam-packed hour of Sportsnet today and a lot of hockey chat as we get into it with uh, a couple of our... Prospect draft specialist. Very excited to chat with Sam Cosentino coming up about the NHL season coming to a conclusion. And Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, the national reporter for the NHL draft and prospects at The Athletic, now joins me uh, here on our show today. And Scott, how are we finding you as uh, it's into the offseason? Yeah, you're actually finding me in a hotel room in St. John. I'm out in, uh, out on the East Coast here for the Memorial Cup. We've got the CHL Awards today and then the Memorial mm. Cup Final tomorrow. So we're putting a bow on another junior hockey season here. So I want to get to the Memorial Cup and I want to get to the NHL draft as well because you've got your rankings out in the whole nine yards that goes with that too. But uh wanted to get some thoughts on some of the players that just played in the Stanley Cup final. And I, I wanted to start with Bowen Byram. He is the fourth overall pick mm. for Colorado in 2019. What's looking to be an outstanding draft as we're a few years after its completion. But what do you remember being the hype around Byram in his draft year? Well, Byram was a bold offensive defenseman who played a game that looked to ch- take charge when he was on the ice. That's always been who he is. He plays a very confident style. He was a very aggressive offensive player. There came some risk inherently with that style of game, even defensively. I wouldn't say back then that he was a super physical player or anything like that, but he played an aggressive style defensively. He closed gaps early. He stepped up on guys. He played with sort of a leading with his stick, but finishing with his body kind of style. And that is by and large the defender that he's become today. We haven't got to see quite the boldness and the aggressiveness and the confidence that maybe uh, he had at lower levels where he was a bit of a rover type, but that is inherently just because he's playing on a team that already has offensive defensemen like Devin Taves and Kel McCarr and Sam Girard. So he just hasn't had the necessarily the offensive zone starts and kind of the power play time mm-hmm. that a player like him deserves and warrants. But I think that's going to come. I'm a big, big, big believer in Bowen Byram. And if he can get the cut, the concussions in the rear view mirror and, and stay healthy, he's going to be a, maybe a star in the league. Yeah, and the concussion stories as well made him uh, certainly someone that was easy to cheer for as the playoffs went on and and the final went on. And, of course, getting to hoist the Stanley Cup and and just listening to him after in some of his postgame interviews, such a leader as well. Uh, The Tampa Bay Lightning traded for Brandon Hagel at the trade deadline. Hagel, 23 years old, signed for two more seasons at a very reasonable cap hit. He goes to Tampa along with two fourth-round picks in the upcoming draft and one in 2024. Chicago gets Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, and first-round picks in 2023 and 2024 as a result. Knowing what you do about the upcoming few draft years, what did you make of the deal at the time and maybe how do you feel about it now? I thought it was a little rich then, and I think it's a little rich now. Uh, certainly there's a little bit of hindsight at play in that, and you're not having that conversation mm. if they win the Stanley Cup. And so maybe we shouldn't be having the conversation because they made it to game six of the Stanley Cup. But uh, in saying that, uh, as great as Hagel is, I think Hagel is a fabulous sort of up-and-down-the-lineup uh, top-nine forward who can uh, be a top player on your third line or a complementary piece on a first-line uh, those players have real value, uh, and he, he's a he's a legit, very good NHL player. 
But in saying that, two first-round picks is a lot uh, if you're not acquiring a star. And I certainly wouldn't qualify Hagel as a star. So uh, I felt like that was one of the premium uh, prices that was paid at this year's deadline. There were Mm -hmm. a couple of other trades I didn't like just in terms of value going out. Uh, this wasn't the two second round picks to acquire Devin Tabes. It was very much they were they were paying a price and knew they would be paying a price to acquire Hagel. So uh, the next two drafts are going to be great, uh, particularly 2023. Still a little bit early for a strong prognostication on 2024. But next year's draft, 2023, is going to be an all-timer. It's going to be a sort of history-making draft. Mm. I fully expect that. So uh, teams are, are gearing towards that and everybody has next year in mind. It's, it's the reason you're going to see Seattle, Montreal, you go down the list, there are going to be several teams tanking Arizona and Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that has all been angling and pushing towards next year's draft. You are at the Memorial Cup, as you mentioned, Scott. Last night we saw Hamilton beat Shawinigan in overtime in the semifinal. Uh, matchup against St. John on Wednesday now awaits the Bulldogs. But I wanted to ask you a question about uh, an outstanding piece that you wrote on one of the defensemen for Hamilton by the name of Arbor Jackeye. And I recommend our listeners seek it out over on the Athletics website. But can you just tell us why this player is such a unicorn? Yeah, he's the he's the throwback in a game that increasingly doesn't have many of them. The whole sort of premise of my piece was sort of introducing the reader to the scariest player in junior hockey, and that's what Arbor Jackai is. He is intimidating. He's menacing. He's scary. Uh, there's there's a mean streak. He plays with an edge. He's involved in everything after the whistle. And then on top of that, he can play. And I think increasingly teams are drawn away from the guys who play like that but can't keep up. And I think the beauty of Arbor is that he can. Uh, and he's also uh, one of the very best stories in junior hockey. So on top of being one of its scariest players, he's got a tremendous story. He was undrafted twice into the OHL. He was undrafted twice in the NHL. He worked his way onto a Kitchener Rangers roster out of, out of junior B hockey, uh, was a third-pairing guy, a non-factor, then COVID happens. He misses his entire season, as most players did in the OHL, didn't find anywhere else to play, spent a year working at Costco, and then as soon as the pandemic sort of reared out of it, out of, uh, or sort of came out of the corner, if you will, uh, he, he found an invite. He, uh, the right person at the right time with the Montreal Canadiens, was watching him at a skate in, in Hamilton, and he was invited to Montreal's rookie camp, and worked his way from rookie camp to main camp in an NHL contract as a player with, at the time, almost almost no track record, frankly. So uh, this year has really been his first year as a legit prospect, and he was a first-pairing guy all year, first in Kitchener, and then after the trade to Hamilton, and he's become a huge part of their championship run here. And now he's one win away from a, more, a Memorial Cup, which will be the, he's 21, so it'll be the last game of his junior career. Uh, before he turns pro with Montreal next year. Really is quite a cool story, and there's plenty of them down at the Memorial Cup, and there's always plenty of interest on some of the prospects at the tournament this year. Plenty between the four clubs, but I did want to also ask you about the coaches, as it is kind of coaching carousel season in the NHL. Can you tell us a little bit about Gardner McDougall and how he came to coach St. John for this tournament, and maybe a little bit from his outstanding press conference that we saw over the weekend? Yeah, Gardner is uh, an icon in this part of the country. He is uh, almost like a Gordie Howe figure in Eastern Canada. He's Mr. Hockey. He has been the longtime, three decades now, the head coach of the University of New Brunswick. 
the University of New Brunswick for Canadian University sports fans will know, and many others probably wouldn't, uh, is it's the dynasty. It's the great university hockey program in this country. They are national champions or close, basically on an annual basis. And Gardner is is the face of, of the program. And the St. John, the host Sea Dogs, who are now in the Memorial Cup final, went 15-0 at the end of this season and were considered by many to be the best team in junior hockey, but then were stunned in the first round of the playoffs uh, by the Ramuski Oceanic. They lost in a five-game series in the, in the seventh game, or in the fifth game, sorry, and uh, in overtime, no less. And it was sort of a heartbreaking way for their brilliant season to come to its first conclusion, and then they spent a month off before this tournament. And during that month off, they actually fired their head coach and replaced him on a temporary basis with Gardner. So Gardner is the current head coach of the Sea Dogs, but he is returning to the University of New Brunswick next season. It will be a one-and-done sort of tournament coaching position. He's not going to return to the Sea Dogs. They'll start a coaching search in this summer. Uh, but he's come in and done, obviously, a tremendous job with this team, made the most of all their time off, and they've been the best team in this tournament uh, by, a, by a wide margin, I would argue. They've been dominant. They dominated basically against all three uh, WHL, OHL, and QMJHL champions. They finished 2-1 uh, and one in, in the round robin and came first to punch their ticket directly to the final, but they could have easily finished 3-0. and oh. Uh, so just a testament to to the job he's done. And I mean, the press conference the other night, I, I tweeted it out and it was getting passed around, but he made a, a, a joke about lady momentum and this idea of lady momentum, finding their team and staying with their team. And uh, at the end of it, it, he was interrupted by a phone call and sort of joked with the press here that uh, it was the Winnipeg Jets calling again. So uh, I don't think he. I don't think the Winnipeg Jets have actually been calling him about their their opening. But Gardner, Gardner's a pretty affable. He's a pretty affable, friendly, quirky guy, and uh, he. I think he loves those press conferences and loves sort of talking at them. So, uh, yeah, definitely had me laughing with that one. Yeah, I believe that was the the evening after we had found out Barry Trotz told the Jets uh, was. was not going to be a thing. So that was uh, fun to see over the weekend. And you mentioned St. John's been solid in this tournament as well. I just wanted to ask about the two Flames prospects playing on that team, Yann Kuznetsov and Jeremy Poirier, a couple of defensemen playing on a pair together, second and third round picks respectively. What do you made of that? Uh, uh, those couple of young gentlemen? Well, I thought if, in the games that I've been here for, I've only been here for the second half, but I watched the first half in, on TV. Uh, in their last game where they punched their ticket to the final and beat Schoenigan, I thought Poirier was outstanding. And I'm a big, big believer in Jeremy Poirier. Uh, he's one of the very most gifted offensive defensemen in all of junior hockey. And I think he's come a long way in his game off the puck and his play defensively. And that was always the big criticism of him was that he was one dimensional. And the reason he wasn't a first round pick was because he didn't, he didn't have the same commitment defensively as he did offensively. And his offense came from cheating. And that just isn't the case at all right now. Uh, he's playing at a very, very high level at both ends and he's still contributing offensively without having to force it. So uh, I think Poirier's a legit prospect. Kuznetsov's a little trickier. He's a defensive defenseman at this level and a very good one. But anytime you have a, a, a sort of no offense or low offense game at lower levels, it's now very difficult to become an NHLer playing that game. I think he'll probably become a very good AHL penalty killing type. And maybe that gets him a cup of coffee here and there over the course of his NHL career if the team needs that at some point. 
But I think beyond that, I don't I don't expect that Jan Kuznetsov will become a full time NHLer in the way that I think Jeremy Poirier has a real opportunity to become that. Uh, but still, two two good prospects. I would I would grade Poirier as a B plus prospect and uh, Kuznetsov as maybe a B minus prospect, and uh, they're both both worth watching and worth following, no question. Chatting with Scott Wheeler here from The Athletic about all things draft and prospects. And uh, the NHL draft is upcoming. It's July the 7th and the 8th. And I think one of the key quotes floating around from the postgame interviews of the Stanley Cup final was Gabe Landeskog when he was asked about, you know, it's a copycat league. What does he expect other teams to try and emulate from their cup winning roster? And his answer was, find a Kale McCarr. Are there any Kale McCars in this draft, Scott? And if not, what does it look like for those top-end defensemen? There are no Kale McCars in this draft. Uh, there are almost never any Kale McCars in any draft. Uh, even 2023, as great as it is, the, weak, the weakness of the 2023 draft is going to be on defense. I don't expect a defenseman will be taken in the top five at next year's draft, which has happened, I believe, twice in the last 20 years. So almost never happens where no deer taken in the top five. I expect that to be the case in 2023. Uh, this year, you're going to have at least one, probably two defensemen taken in the top five, or at least the top six or seven in Simon Nemitz and David Yurichek. I think Nemitz has an opportunity to become a star in the NHL. I think Yurichek has an opportunity to become a top-pairing guy, but more likely a, a sort of number two and a number one. Uh, but neither of those guys scream Kale McCarr. They don't have that dynamic, dynamic offensive game. They're both very talented players. Nemitz is a very tactical, smooth operating offensive defenseman, and Yurichek is more the bold, hard shooting, sort of big, staunch uh, two way defenseman. But both of them are, are legit A, A grade prospects, uh, even if they're maybe not the A plus that Kale McCarr has obviously become. So uh, those are the two crown jewels. And then after that, there are, there are good pieces throughout as well, including a, a couple of WHL names that listeners on this radio station will be familiar with in Kevin Korchinski and, mm-hmm. and Denton Matichuk, uh, uh, two real stars in the WHL this season who will be top 20 picks and maybe in court or maybe in Korchinski's case, even sort of fringe top 10. So uh, yeah, there, there's, there's going to be some impact guys, no question on D that come out of this draft, but you're not likely looking at a, a future hall of famer in the way that Kale McCarr is. There's been plenty of discussion about the uh, top-rated center. Is it Shane Wright? Is it Logan Cooley? I've seen your rankings, so I know who you've got. But uh, could you just explain where you fall when it comes to that debate? Well, I'm uh, about a coin flip, but a slight edge. Maybe I'm 55-45 mm-hmm. in terms of edge to Shane Wright. Uh, I like Shane. I like the, the base of his game. I like that his game offensively is as well-rounded as it is, and his game defensively is as detailed as it is. I like that he's six foot one, yada yada yada. Shane just checks a lot of boxes. There's there really aren't many holes in Shane's game. I think everybody would like a first overall pick to maybe have a little bit more dynamism to his game, a little bit more flair and flash to his game. But I still fully expect that Shane Wright's going to become a, a excellent top six center who gives you sixty, seventy points in a season. And those are guys in today's NHL that make eight or nine million bucks. So uh, he may not become the ten, eleven, twelve million dollar player, but he's going to be a, I think, a star player in the league or very close. And Cooley's a, a tricky one because I think Cooley has uh, certainly has a higher ceiling than Shane Wright. I think if Logan hits his ceiling, he's going to be a true top of the league producer. He's going to put up eighty points in a season instead of seventy points in a season, kind of thing. 
uh, and that those guys don't grow on trees. But Cooley's game also has uh, not question marks that come with it. I actually love his skating, his tenaciousness, the way that he plays, plays on the inside, despite being a little bit on the smaller side. He's strong for his size. Uh, so there, there, there aren't major questions with Cooley, but I just think the likelihood that he reaches that true ceiling that I think he's capable of getting to is slightly smaller than Shane's. And as a result, I gave, I gave Shane the slight edge this year. How do you feel about uh, Yuri Slavkovsky, the big winger? I like Uri a lot. I don't like him uh, in the first overall conversation, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. Uh, I think he's got a real strong case for second or third overall. But I think there's also a chance that the Montreal Canadiens, I, I have not ruled that out from the conversations I've had with folks. There are multiple people in hockey who think Montreal strongly considering Uri and uh, multiple others who think that they should be. So uh, I, I'm, I'm a little lower on, on Slavkovsky than most. Uh, I love the, the skill. I mean, you almost never see six foot four, six foot five players who can stick handle like he can and toe drag like he can and pull the puck into their feet like he can. Uh, I do worry, though, that his international track record with, with Slovakia is giving, has been given too much weight in his sort of projection here. Uh, he was a good player in, in Finland this year at the professional league level, but he did not have the kind of season there that the true stars that have come out of that league have had at similar ages. Uh, so that's tricky for me. And then obviously with, with his international track record, he certainly played like a first overall, second overall pick internationally this year, both at the Olympics where he was the MVP at men's worlds, where he was again, their top player. He's been a dominant player at U18, Halenka, U20s, you name it. Uh, but I think in those situations, especially the, the professional level this year, he did a lot of his damage against, Italy and Kazakhstan and not against Canada and the United States. And he was playing in power play sort of top of the lineup roles. He started in a depth role at, at worlds, but, uh, or at the Olympics, I should say, but finished that tournament playing right at the top of the lineup. And that, that spilled into, to worlds. So, uh, a, a complicated analysis. He's also a very big, heavy kid. He's the second heaviest player in this draft class, mm-hmm. and he's only going to get heavier into his middle age here. Uh, so I do worry a little bit about the, the weight that he might end up playing at. I think there's a chance he ends up playing at 230 pounds, 235 pounds, and there aren't many top-of-the-lineup NHLers these days who are that heavy. So a complicated projection, but still a very exciting player who, if he can find the perfect weight and make the most out of his tools, is going to be a, a first-line winger. Scott Wheeler, our guest here on Sportsnet today, his final rankings for the NHL draft. The 100-player list is up. I highly recommend you go and check it out. My last one for you, Scott, and it's maybe a bit of a spoiler, but no goalies on your list this year. What gives? It's just uh, this is, I think, the draft coming back down to where I typically have it. Uh, I've been doing prospect pool rankings, NHL draft rankings, this job for nine years, and this is the first time that a goalie hasn't appeared in my top 100 in in those nine years. But in saying that, more often than not in those nine years, there haven't been goalies in the first or second round. So typically the goalies that appear on my list have been in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And the last couple of years have been the exception to that. Uh, Spencer Knight was an exception. Um, 
Jesper Wallstedt and Sebastian Kosa last year were exceptions. Yaroslav Askarov, an exception. So these last three years were really the outliers rather than the norm. And I think people have got comfortable and familiar with, okay, there's a first-round goalie in every draft class. And that's just not the case. Uh, and it's not going to be the case moving forward. We're not going to have another next year either. So uh, this is, is sort of more the norm. There are goalies that I like in this draft class, but most of them are kids that I would take in rounds five, six, seven. There, there are no, I don't think there's a star goalie prospect in this draft class. And ironically enough, the goalies that I do like look a lot like Calgary's Dustin Wolf. They're the little guys that I expect will be available late. Uh, I really like Hugo Havilid out of Sweden, and he's five foot ten, five foot eleven. I really like Brett Brochu of the London Knights, yep. same size. Uh, I really like Thomas Millich of the Seattle Thunderbirds in the WHL, same kind of thing, five foot eleven, six foot. Uh, and those guys, I think, will fall, and I think they'll be available in the later rounds, and that, in part, is why they weren't on my list. Scott, always appreciate your work, man. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Enjoy the rest of the Memorial Cup at the final tomorrow. Cheers. Will do. There you go. That's Scott Wheeler from The Athletic, uh, their national reporter for all things draft and prospects when it comes to the NHL. This is Sportsnet Today, brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the Tap Room and Restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. Around the corner, Sam Cosentino joins us. Similar style of conversation, but we're going to start off by asking him his thoughts about Kale McCarr, who hoisted the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe Trophy earlier this week. That's next as we continue right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back inside. This is Sportsnet Today on your Tuesday, brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing their beer right here in Calgary. Visit the tap room and restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. No Ryan Pinder today. My name is Matt Rose, in for Ryan the rest of the week. I'm very excited to go down our Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to talk to the man, Sam Cosentino. Uh, we're going back-to-back back out to St. John once again. Sammy, how is it uh, out in St. John, my friend? No, no, I'm just hanging out here in uh, in Ontario, just oh. getting ready for the draft. Yeah, everything's going good, though. We're uh, keeping an eye on things for sure, and... Uh, yeah, that's about it that's happening here these days. The draft is keeping me busy, Rosie, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, I hear you there, man. Uh, what did you make of the game last night? Because I'm sure you still uh, picked up that semifinal contest between Hamilton and Shawinigan. and quite the back and forth, posts back and forth, the top prospects for each team showing out. What did you make of it? Yeah, yeah, it was a great game. It was tough to, you know, anytime it goes to overtime, obviously the teams are closely matched. Really good play there by Steos to shake a check and get that little shot in from the from the point there and then have it deflected by Canadian's prospect Meshach to, to end it. So, you know, I looked at this thing at the start and I thought Hamilton was uh, was going to be the favorite going in. Uh, you know, they come out of Ontario, you're only traveling one time zone away. I think just enough of a of a gap and a rest there before they, they got underway. So I liked what, uh, you know, their situation they were in and now they got an opportunity to go win a title. But, you know, having said that, uh, uh, I, I really like how the St. John Sea Dogs have responded too. So it should be a good battle, that's for sure. Well, we'll get to St. John in a little bit, but I wanted to start with Hamilton. Mason McTavish is a Anaheim Ducks prospect, third overall selection in 2021, and he had another great game. I think he had two or three posts. He had a, uh, a goal early in the second to give Hamilton a lead. Have you liked his tournament as a whole? 
Yeah, I think a little bit of a slow start, but at the end of the day, your best players usually come through at the end. And for Mason McTavish, like you have to think about the role he's been on the last basically 18 to 24 months. Uh, you know, he's played literally all over the world between, um, you know, the Olympics, the, the, the men's world, the, um, going to play in, in Switzerland when uh, the Ontario Hockey League didn't play and then going down to Texas to play in the under-18s and then back to Hamilton. Like, he's been all over the map, uh, and yet he's still found a way to respond. So uh, that doesn't include a stop in Anaheim where he had nine games in his first NHL goal, too. So he's, uh, he's a well-traveled guy. I'm, I'm sure at some point it's going to catch up to him. But right now he's just riding the momentum of, of having the opportunity to play for a title. So uh, good for him. But I... You know, I, I hold him in high regard. I, I, I see big things for, for Mason down the road here um, at the National Hockey League level, but he's got some business to take care of at this level first. Yeah, he sure does. And he did get a little bit of a, a start in the NHL. I know the Ducks were dealing with some injuries early in the season, which might have been a factor there too. But do you feel like he's a player that's a year, a couple years away from being with Anaheim full-time? Oh, I think as early as next year. Mm-hmm. I think it's... it's uh, you know, they've signaled the direction they want to go in. They moved off of uh, Lindholm. They moved off of Manson. And that, for me, signaled that uh, we're ready to take this team in a, in a new direction. And, you know, obviously the emergence of uh, of uh, Jamie Drysdale has helped speed that process along. I think that nine-game uh, stint, I mean, McTavish told them that they could move along and feel comfortable about having this guy moving forward. And I think he's an NHL player, um, full-time guy as early as next year. Shawinigan's tournament comes to an end with that overtime loss to Hamilton. They had a couple of high-profile prospects as well. Maverick Bork, the 30th overall pick at Dallas back in 2020. Xavier Borgo was the 22nd overall pick for Edmonton in 2021. Did you like how uh, that tandem was able to produce, albeit separately, for a lot of the tournament for the Cataracts? Yeah, no question. I mean, you know... Every Bork was a guy I had a lot of question marks about going into his draft. You know, I look at Jim Nill and Joe McDonnell, the head skip there for, for Detroit, and you're saying yourself, uh, what they're doing. I mean, the Wyatt Johnson last year when he essentially played in the under-teens and that was it, and next year he wins an OHL scoring title, tells me a lot about their ability to evaluate players. And uh, when I'm looking at Maverick Bork, who was taken by Dallas, all the questions that I seemingly had, uh, no longer exist, at least at this level, you know, in terms of him being able to pace, mm-hmm. pace the game well, both a playmaker and a goal scorer. So I, I, I really like him. And Borgo is, you know, he made his mark being the shooters. A lot of deception, shot, light angle, manipulation, those sorts of things that have made him a sniper his entire junior career, and that doesn't look like it's going to change moving to the National Hockey League. Uh, I think the other guy there is probably the most underrated is Nato. I think the world of this guy, just a really good two-way game. He's got a bit of heaviness, maybe not quite ready to pace the NHL game at this point, uh, but I think very highly of him as well. So a lot of good young star players there for, for sure. One again. Uh, St. John's, your host city, they get upset by Ramuski in the first round, so a long layoff before hosting the Memorial Cup, and they make a coaching change ahead of the tournament as well. What has impressed you about their performance over the past week to 10 days? Well, it's really the response to the coaching change. I mean, who in the world would ever think that that, that could happen and be a thing and, and to this point be a successful thing? But, uh, you know, I've got a lot of experience with Gardner McDougall going back to his days uh, with the University of New Brunswick Varsity Reds. He runs an amazing program there. That hasn't changed. 
He's had, uh, I think, seven national titles under his belt in these short tournament single elimination type events. So he's he's very used to what it takes to be prepared to play in this sort of event and play well and, and be successful. So that's probably the thing that's impressed me the most. I mean, you look at the, some of these St. John players that have been around for a couple of years, the, the Jeremy Poirier, Poirier's, the William Villeneuve's. These guys have gone through three or four different coaches, mm-hmm. interim situations. It's been a real challenge. And then to think you're getting a new coach for essentially one month and essentially what is going to amount to, uh, you know, four, four games is, is pretty crazy. Uh, but they've responded well to, to what Gardner's had to teach them so far. And I think this team will be uh, will be ready to rock here uh, come tomorrow night. You mentioned Poirier, who is the Calgary Flames prospect, a third-round pick from 2020. He's paired with Jan Kuznetsov, who's Calgary's second-round pick in 2020. What have you liked or disliked from that pair over the course of the tournament? I think it's great. It's really great for Calgary that these guys have uh, had the opportunity to play together for a significant amount of time because you project that down the road for the Flames and you know probably not next year. I think Poirier is going to need some time. Kuznetsov maybe a little less time. I think his his game's a little bit more more polished and and well rounded. But again, you have two prospects from the same team that are able to play on the same junior team together at the same position. I, I think that really bodes well. Now, Poirier has got an amazing shot. He you know, at times looks like a forward. That's his MO. That's what he's going to bring to the table. Um, I don't think that's going to change tremendously, although his game has, has come a long way. He plays with a, with a little bit of evidence. But, you know, if, if you were just to sit and watch him, you'd think that this guy uh, presents as a forward. And then Kuznetsov, again, you know, you come over from, uh, from the college ranks and you have the opportunity to settle into the junior um, situation. And, he too has has responded well. There's a lot of a lot of really good things that uh, both of these guys have, done, you know, on the team their careers moving forward here into the American League and eventually in Calgary. Uh, another tough tournament for the WHL team as Edmonton goes out in the round robin, despite showing up with the most NHL drafted talent. Uh, some thoughts on what you saw from Brad Lauer's club in the round robin. It's extremely to go. You know, the, the Western Hockey League playing in the Maritimes, that's not a situation that uh, has presented itself well. I think about Prince Albert, uh, you know, making its way to uh, Halifax in 2019. That didn't work out well after they were a juggernaut team. And the same thing can be said about Edmonton. Um, you know, the, the quick turnaround after a really difficult and, and hard-grinding series uh, against Seattle to get there. And then having to travel to three time zones and, and jump right into it is is a real challenge. It's always been that way for the dub team going to the Maritimes. That didn't change this this time around, despite all of that great talent. Um, and you know, just some people may want to address that as as an issue moving forward for this tournament. I think that's the way it is. And you know, I think when you get back to more regular type play, um, you know, the WHL knows that whenever it's coming out to the Maritimes or having to travel potentially three time zones, that they try and get things done a little bit more expeditiously. And I think that was plan. But, you know, during these pandemic times, uh, everyone kind of had to do whatever the schedule has, has offered. Wanted to ask, uh, my last one on the Memorial Cup, is we're talking to Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, all things NHL and junior and prospects. Of all the four teams that we saw at the tournament, which are the 2022 draft eligible players have impressed you the most, maybe raising their stock ahead of the draft coming up on the seventh and eighth in Montreal. Yeah. It's funny because there just, there wasn't really, there wasn't a lot to to choose from. 
So, you know, two guys ranked inside the top 100. Uh, you know, Booth from Shewinigan, and he's a guy that I had a pretty good book on before. He's just kind of a steady guy. His, his brother is a former goaltender for St. John, so Callum and, and a former Carolina pick. I think he's still playing in the pro ranks, but uh, has yet to, I think, make a, an, an NHL game. Um, and then you're looking at Jorian Donovan, who's the son of Sean Donovan, the former NHLer, and he too is a guy who's a pretty well-known commodity going back to his days growing up in the in the Ottawa area. So both are are pretty steady players. I didn't expect either one of them uh, to have significant impact in terms of their draft position. Uh, probably looking at uh, you know third and fourth round picks uh, or beyond for both of those players. So mm-hmm. you know that was the one thing, Rosie, going into this tournament. It was an older tournament. The teams were 19 year old based, um, and I think it be based on you know everyone missing essentially a year. Uh, that that you had to go in there with an older group, and that's exactly how it played out for the respective teams to win their league championships. Wanted to ask as well, and this is a little bit of a tougher one, the Flames don't have their first-round pick. Their second-round pick is going to be closer to 60th overall than 50th overall in the upcoming draft. I know by that point in the draft, it's a bit of a mad scramble as everyone's lists are different, so not necessarily looking for individuals, but do you think that there's still going to be some decent talent there that could maybe slide from a lot of some of the projections this year? It, it, it's really it's a fascinating draft, and it's a, the most difficult to handicap that I've had, uh, and especially this year. And you know, a couple of things that you know, how do you feel about Russian-born players? Are some of those players going to slip even later in the? Is that a road that wants down both car-wise and player-wise? I think you might be able to get the player over here, the player wants over, here, so on and so forth. And then you have players out of Ontario who missed a full year of development. And you're saying, all right, well, if we had that development, how do we protect this player? We protect them tremendously differently than we might in, the, in another kind of regular year. Um, having said that, I think when it gets to where Calgary's picking, some options of players that probably have gone through the draft once or twice before that you might mm. feel a little bit more certain about, and that might be an area they try to exploit. And my last one for you, Sam, and this one kind of relates to the Stanley Cup final, but I did want to ask you about Kale McCarr after he captured the Conn Smythe Trophy for the playoffs' top player and uh, just what you might remember leading up to his draft year. What was the buzz surrounding the smooth skating blue liner out of the Brooks Bandits who ends up going fourth, fourth overall to the Avalanche in 2017? To be honest with you, Rosie, the buzz was this guy uh, ended up number one on a couple of different lists. But the idea had played that, and myself included, uh, played it as the Heischer Patrick kind of competition for first overall. And, you know, Patrick was in the lead most of the way. And then, of course, Heischer gets taken uh, first overall. And then you get Miro Haskinen, who's a really good player going to Dallas at number three. And Colorado was sitting there, and it was pretty interesting. I, I, I spoke to their former head scout, Alan Heppel, who was responsible for building a, a large portion of that team, um, said, we were really, you know, upset. We were supposed to be the team picking first that year. We ended up losing the lottery and dropped fourth. And so it's funny how that works because you go from being really upset by moving down to being really excited about, you know, looks like getting the best player in that draft in the four holes. So he, he's a game changer. He's a, he's a cheat code. He's all of those things that we're, we've heard about. But I do remember him getting a lot of late respect and, I think people 
felt that there was no question on some lists he was a number one. Um, but those two teams picking were kind of locked into one of those two players based on what we'd seen lead to for Patrick two years and for Heischer the his draft year. Well, Sam, uh, looking forward to the draft, man. I'm always looking forward to it. I know that uh, you're going to be absolutely dialed in, so we look forward to plenty more of your coverage. Uh, also, I just wanted to ask, man, I, I really enjoyed watching you cover the NHL over the course of the year, too. How was the, the, the kind of change for you to do a little bit more of the, the NHL stuff, too? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I got to work a lot of Calgary games and Edmonton games and Vancouver games, so it was nice to see from other parts of the country. It does present certain challenges, Rosie, when you're not in the building. Yes. Um, you know, you're trying to make phone calls and, and, and watch as best you can, but not being in the building is very challenging to, to comment on a, you know, on a team, but you try and do your, your best given the circumstances you're in. Um, doing some NHL games. It's been 18 years between NHL games for me, so that was pretty exciting, you know, being in the booth. Uh, that was a pretty cool kind of thing. Uh, but I enjoyed it. And what's neat for me is watching a lot of the players that I had grown up either on game four or watching through the draft, you know, really start to make their way and have an impact uh, at that level. Man, well, I love the passion you bring to every broadcast. So keep up the good work. We look forward to your coverage of the draft. Thank you, Sammy. Take care, my man. Okay, Rosie. Thanks. Take care, buddy. There you go. That's Sam Cosentino, the absolute best when it comes to uh, the draft coverage and uh, everything that's involved with that. And, of course, he joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, you can check them out, 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. they got the, uh, the, the pizza pass now where you can get points. You can redeem them for more pizza. What's not to love? Going to put a bow on the show for today. Uh, podcast will be up shortly if you missed anything as we talked to Scott Wheeler and we talked to Sam Cosentino. We're into the offseason, so it is prospects and it is free agency. It's all of that type of stuff as we go through it all. This has been Sportsnet Today, brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, proudly brewing the beer right here in Calgary. Visit the tap room and restaurant in the Curry Barracks or find your favorite Wild Rose beer at bars and liquor stores around Alberta. Coming up next, it is the Merrick Show and what a lineup they got. Elliot Friedman kicking things off about 10 minutes away from that. Brian Burke, the Penguins president of hockey operations, going to join the show around 10.35. And then, oh, I love these. Less than 48 hours after being crowned as Stanley Cup champion, Andrew Cogliano is going to join the show. That's going to be 11.30 Calgary time, 1.30 Eastern time. Wonder how dry that man is going to be after what would have been an absolute party for the last 48 hours following uh, the Avalanche and Andrew Cogliano becoming Stanley Cup champions following the 2022 season. Enjoy the chats. We'll chat tomorrow with all you buddies. Take care.